welcome to Stand Out Podcast with Natalia Brzezinski. Today I'm here with my my dear friend, someone who is a role model to me, who's a friend, who's always supported me and other women, Anna Maria Corazza Bilt, member of the European Parliament for Sweden. Welcome, Anna Maria. Thanks. You know, you are one of the people that really encouraged me to always go for it and stand out in Sweden. You really did. You were the first person I met when Mark and I landed here. We had the, the honor and the pleasure to go out to a Yule board oh, with yeah, you and right. Carl yes, 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 and Radek Sikorsky, who was then the oh, foreign minister, yes. and Anne Applebaum, another strong woman, another spouse married committed to a strong woman, man, yeah. but very committed. And I remember sitting there with those two couples, and I was 27 and quite terrified. You were so brilliant, you know, everyone... My father-in-law had known Carl before, and so I kind of had this idea of him, and I had this idea from you also. And he also. had been my professor in New York at Columbia University of Strategic Studies. Of course, and he remembers you. <laughs> and he always talks very fondly about you, but I that remember sitting there that ago. day, and I hope none of these people mind that I'm saying this, but to me, you were the star of the... No, the, come on. That you were so informed, and everything you said was... We were talking about Turkey at the time, I believe, and it was... You are so passionate and you meet very few people that actually, there's the saying, walk the walk, walk the talk. Mm -hmm. You have it out written on your chest. <laughs> you speak it. You really live this, Anna Maria. I hope you know that you're really valued. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm just myself. I, on, on, on Turkey, I would like to say, as I'm just coming back from Turkey and uh, for the first day, I'm doing an amazing, amazing uh job and effort to welcome 2.2 million people and it should be more recognized. It's not that everything is perfect, but they're giving them a legal status. And the people of Turkey are treating their brothers and sisters from Syria, from Afghanistan, from Pakistan in a human way. I want to tell you about this women association that I met uh, in Bodrum, uh, the fancy touristic port of Bodrum, where which is swamped of of refugees that are, you know, uh, treated in a very humane way, and they are just friends that got together, feminist. Uh, to deal with domestic violence against women, completely self-funded. And now because of this an immense number of women coming, women refugees, women victims of trafficking, they have started like to collect clothes and, and they have really an association uh, what we visited uh, and, and they are really trying to identify women that uh, would be trafficked for sexual exploitation, sexual abuse. And, you know, I was talking to them and they said, Uh, we just we don't have a private life anymore. Our life now is with the refugees, and um, this was amazing. Uh, it, it, there were many of them, like normal women, like you and me, just devoting their life to that. Now, I wish we would do more in Europe, in the United States, in the world, of these grassroots movements. Uh, and they were they were had started to be very well organized. They were working with the civil union. They had now sort of got in touch with. International NGOs after, you know, what happened with this terrible picture that moved the entire world of this boy in the beach uh, island. I, I went to see, I went to visit there to pay tribute. Uh, there's been a lot of mobilization. And uh, so they are also getting international attention. But it was a grassroots movement of women helping women in Turkey. And I think this is great because women should help women. 
that that's the basic for me. Um, do you think we don't do that enough? There's a lot of ideology that is interfering with that. And what I what I try to do and say in my modest work in the European Parliament, you know, we have a FAM committee and I'm sort of the deputy coordinator for my political group, the European People's Party. I'm trying to say, you know, there's not much we can do at European level because a lot of issues are national and we should not interfere with that. But violence against women, trafficking, sexual exploitation, you know, the big tragedies of our time, the biggest slaveries of our time. You've seen these women in Saudi Arabia, she's been cut her hand now in domestic works. We've been doing a lot with the Arab. It's not, to, it's not now to, to point point one. It's one of the examples, domestic workers uh, that have no rights, women, Thousands of women migrants that have no rights, and not only there, etc., um, etc. Et this is the issues that we can make our voice heard. We can stand up and stand out. We can have a dialogue which respects culture, respects tradition, respects religion, but never accept them as an excuse to oppress women. And this fine balance between respect and red lines in terms of what's human rights and fundamental rights. While in the European Parliament, you have a lot of this leftist ideology that is uh, like, you know, the fights of the 70s, very much driven by Swedish leftists, by the way, is like the fight of the 70s about patriarchate and patronizing women and all the women are victims. All the women are not victims. You are not a victim. I am not a victim. A woman that is fleeing for her life uh, because she's risking an honor killing right now in Europe, there are many, she's a victim. There is a difference. We're not all victims. We are not, it's not that all the men are bad. It's not, you know, this confrontational feminism of the 70s, it, it played its role. And unfortunately, we're still dealing with all these ideologies rather than what I think is the right way, join forces, cross political groups, cross-border, cross-Atlantic, for female genital mutilation, against forced marriage, uh, for uh, saving women migrants now, this is so much happening now, from getting into the traffickers' networks of sexual exploitation. I'm not saying we can make it. I'm saying if we join forces, we can make a small difference. And that's what we should focus on. Do you think female politicians might have a special opportunity or role? And I say this because at least in in my country, in the United States, we only have, we have less than 20% of women in the U.S. Congress. However, mm-hmm. those women pass the most laws. Female senators and congresswomen are actually reported to pass far more laws than men. And again, this is not us versus them, but do you think women have more of a collaborative mindset or is that generalizing? Do you see that in the European Parliament? I think that more women in politics in general, national, international, and more women in 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 leadership position in business would be a benefit for all. And I think you're so well poised because also many people don't really know you're an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. You're a businesswoman. Yes. <laughs> Do you think th- that makes you more willing to, as we say, stand out or go for things? I mean, being an entrepreneur, you have to promote yourself because you're promoting a company, you're promoting a brand. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm multitasking, like millions of women are multitasking. As you know, that's what we do. We do crisis management, multitasking, <laughs> <Yes>. adrenaline, <laughs> 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 K- 
kind of energy and little sleep. So I'm not alone in that, but definitely I have sort of several identities. I, I am sort of a peacemaker, definitely a human rights activist. I will always be. Uh, I'm a field and a frontline person. Uh, I am also an entrepreneur. That's the, my family tradition. And when I came to Sweden, when I started a new life, I was, you know, in my 30s. And it was like starting anew completely. Uh, I, I came to Stockholm directly from Sarajevo. Uh, I, I, I founded a company, actually two companies then, uh, the one on food on the internet and the one in Tabiano Castello yes. on tourism. And I feel like an entrepreneur. And that's part of my frustration in our work for women empowerment that so much focus is uh, not on empowering women in business, empowering women as an entrepreneur, empowering women to uh, to feel secure and to trust that they can make it in starting a company. Mm. Like in Sweden, there is a there's amazing women in business. You know them all. Mm. Uh, and that really broke the glass ceiling and really showed the way. Uh, but there's a majority of women that work in the public sector. Because this, the social democratic culture has been that you find security and safety in a in a public employment for life, and if you dare, despite your potential, your capability, your I mean your strength, as you know, all these amazing Swedish women, better than me, but you take a too big risk. This culture needs to be changed because there's an enormous potential entrepreneurship in Sweden, in Europe, in the United States, of course, that is not fully developed fully out and it is about standing up it is about standing out it is about freedom of choice it is about thinking the model is i should work in the public sector or i should work in a big companies as employee for life uh, but i have a brilliant idea i want to start a company do it i think three years ago and i remember this distinctly when you and i had a very long breakfast you said you really focus on the word dare Dare yeah. to be and don't be a bad copy of a man. I love that. And that's something I think it's it's two concepts. It's it's okay to be a female and a leader. You don't have to be applying male leadership norms. You no, can be absolutely. a feminine leader. And you also I mean, as it's very obvious this show is called Stand Out. And This is something that really affected me in my time in Sweden. I mean, the law of Jante, these different norms. You and I have discussed this so much that it's almost <laughs> yes. between me and you is old news. But I don't want to just poke at Sweden because I'm back home in America and I'm an American. I've lived there before. I'm Eastern European. I've seen it. Except actually Polish women are quite, they stand out. But um, I think women everywhere have a little bit of a hesitancy around being too seen, mm -hmm. being too loud, being too much, uh, taking taking the voice around the boardroom. Sheryl Sandberg wrote a whole book about this. She said, lean in. She said that women are doing well in school and universities. That's great. But the kind of behaviors that are successful in school, raising your hand, not speaking when you're not asked upon by an authority figure, doing all your work politely. That doesn't work in business. And what I loved about you, and this is in the best sense, you've always stood out. 
at least in my time of knowing you here. And I wonder, where did you get this courage? How how have you always... Because I ask all my interviewees, how do you stand out? I don't need to ask you. <laughs> I, and thank, thank you. God for that. I, I'm, I'm not sure it's courage uh, or what it is. I mean, I come from a... Um, I come from a macho culture, from a conservative culture. I was not born in Sweden. A lot of things that are given for granted in Sweden uh, are not given for granted in my life. And I worked in the Balkans in 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 an extremely macho environment as the only woman, where I was always asked, you know, why she's a political officer and not a secretary, uh, or what is she doing here even. And so for me, it's been always an uphill battle, always. Uh, so I don't, uh, I don't think it's like you know, and it's it's the story of my life, and it's now still. I mean, the European Parliament is a place where women have obviously equal rights and equal opportunities, where women have extreme leadership and powerful position, chairing committees, chairing this, chairing that. It's not into question, and there is a drive for women at the top in the European Parliament. And we have created networks like within the, our political group to make sure when there is an election or something, we're going to put ourselves with a women candidate so that this woman will have more chances, that it will split the vote. So we are also trying to organize ourselves. But still there are stereotypes, still there are different cultures, still you feel that the attitude... I, st- I feel that I am still uh, in uphill fight. I don't feel like I'm in a position where I can use my standing to just stand out for others and open the way for others, which is what I would like so much to do or to use the position to to change the world, which is at the end of the day what I want to do, uh, to make the difference. I still I still have to fight to get this position, to make the point. And, and for me, it's never to get a position uh, so that I have reached a career I never consider my life a career. Never. No, none of my work has been a career. It's always been a mission. And mm-hmm. I have this strong feeling of mission. Uh, but I would like still more now to have better position to be able to influence more. And I feel that being a woman uh, does not help. Is that? It's strange. I'm, I feel strange myself to say that. Uh, then about Lagom and Jantelagen, um, it's been very difficult for me. Mm-hmm. It's been extremely difficult. How many times I've been totally misunderstood uh, when I was talking, like I'm talking to you now. You know how many people are going to say, oh, she's so aggressive. I know. And if it was a man, they would never say he's aggressive. They would say, oh, he's determined. Absolutely. With me, they would not say she's determined. They would say, oh, she's aggressive. That's my culture. That's my way of being. I'm Italian. I'm not a Swede. I will never become a Lagom Swede, not because I don't like it, but because I'm never going to run after men. I'm never going to run after the model of what is the ideal Swedish feminist. I am myself. I'm just trying to connect, understand, listen. And this is so fascinating. Natalia, you have done it so fast and so well in the time you've been in Sweden. I'm still I'm struggling to it, to listen, understand, connect and be part of the society, which is so amazing. And uh, uh, of course, Sweden offered me amazing opportunities. You know, I'm a non-Swede who is representing the people of Sweden, elected by the popular vote in the European Parliament in a democratic way. For me, I can never describe what it means for me as a woman coming from uh, 
a non-equal environment, a non, non-feminist environment, uh, it means a lot. Uh, but I really would like to, I really would like this society to be more, um, I really would like more women to dare. Do you think Swedish women take what they have for granted? And I will say that I, I just on my ride here with my amazing producer, Sandra, who she doesn't take it for granted, but I always tell her, I say, I hope you know how, how good it is here. You have the raw material. Yeah. There should be a hundred times more entrepreneurs. I completely agree with you. That's why I don't understand the deficit. But is it too easy? You Sweden, and I are fighters. I mean, Sweden you know? is a role model. Sweden is a role model in so many things. Sweden is a role model in feminism, is a role model in in, in uh, welcoming refugees, is a role model on tolerance. There's no doubt about that. But there should never be compliance on that. The way we are in the European Union, that's maybe something where I really can be a bridge builder is not you know we go in there and teach them how to do it 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 should be much more on a on a equal dialogue we have to learn a lot as well here in Sweden we have to be much more uh, open to diversity the challenge of the society now is to embrace diversity as a richness as a positive issue and not be afraid of diversity diversity with women in power A lot of people are scared about women in power. That's the story of your life. That's the story of my life. I agree. The fact of, you know, uh, men, people being afraid of a woman that stands up and stands out, a woman that is strong, a woman that speaks her mind, and a woman that uh, does not follow the model scares Scares in Italy, scares in Sweden, scares in the European Parliament, scares scares in the the United United States. States. It's the story of our life, both private and and public. Uh, But what I was going to say, Sweden needs to learn to be much more open also to cultural diversity as a richness and to traditional diversity too. So it's not only because we have achieved so much in Sweden, we're going to tell them how to do it. That's the wrong approach. It's we're going together to learn from each other and, and move forward. This, I think, is a big challenge also with all the refugees coming and mm. so on. At the end of the day, the United States shows that uh, multicultural society are a benefit for all. They are not only a benefit for those that you welcome. They are benefit also for those that are welcoming. And, uh, uh, and women have a great role to play in that. And if we don't integrate women migrants uh, in mainstream in our societies, we're going to lose a lot in Sweden. It's not only that they are going to be marginalized, we are going to lose. Are you optimistic, though, that we can solve this issue of diversity? And I say this because look at the dialogue around my presidential elections, around immigrants, around Mexican immigrants. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's just as bad, even though we're this beacon. It's maybe worse sometimes. Well, let me tell you that Hillary Clinton has used my same motto, basta. Yeah. <laughs> You know that I've been launching several campaigns on Basta. Absolutely, which I means, know. Which means, you know, it's enough. Stop it. It's an Italian word, of course. But it, it, it embraces everything. I think a lot of people identify with this xenophobic debate that you have now in the, in the election campaign in the United States, putting people against people, polarizing, demonizing. We have it in Europe, of course, with the extreme right rising everywhere. We have it in Sweden. And uh, I was so happy that she used this basta. It says it all. Absolutely. Uh, And I think that she... Do you think she's getting unfairly criticized? Would 
Would a male doing the emails or saying the things she says, it seems we're in a phase where everything she does is wrong. I'm they not want her able to, to judge, really. I'm not enough plug now or into does, the election do campaign. Do female leaders get more scrutiny? Female leaders, get, it's more difficult to be a woman leader. It's more difficult to reach the position. It's more difficult to live up to all the expectations. And I, I definitely it's more difficult, no doubt. My sister-in-law, Mika, I think who you also yes. know, she's also an activist. And she wrote a book recently a lot about these issues, both how being strong and successful has has affected her in her private life, in her relationships, in her friendships. And she says in the book, and it's stuck with me, the price of success is much higher for women. Absolutely. No, that's that's exactly what it is. Do you, said in a much better way. No. It you, is, you said it in a very is. good way. I like yeah. basta. That's what I'm going to yeah. say to people. Yeah. Enough. But you know, I use it for my campaigns on food. Yes. It's a basta to food I have waste. the containers. Yeah, exactly. No, this is my This is my other identity, you know, uh, fighting for good food, for food and health, for more motion, for, uh, because I was, I come from a family that produced Parmesan cheese and Parma ham. You've seen it in Italy. And, and I've, I've, I've lived, <laughs> yes. I live with good food as a god. And it was normal for me coming to Sweden to, to work with that. And now in the European Parliament is very exciting. Uh, I'm, uh, it's funny, a journalist the other day told me, since when did you start dealing with refugees? Because you used to deal with food. I said, I've been dealing with both all my life. And she was like, can you deal? Yeah, of course of I've course. been dealing with both all my life. It's both are true. And and I was like, is that strange that I've been, you know, a peace fighter and, and a peacemaker and entrepreneur and fighting for good food and I'd done the three together all my life? I <laughs> know. I love the Swedes, but I think it is strange here sometimes because I got the same questions. What are you? You know, what box can I be put in? Exactly. And I think even as a woman, if you're a working woman, you're already kind of in too many boxes. You should be focused or, I mean, I don't know, maybe you can give me some advice because I think you have something that I really aspire to and, and, and you have this tenacity, but also some type of armor that Maybe it does get to you, but you don't seem like these things get to you. And and what I mean is I, I once asked a very, very famous woman, why aren't there more women at the top? Why aren't there more CEOs? And is it just because we don't have maternity leave in America? And she said, of course, that's a huge problem. But that's not it. Some women just get sick of fighting. Yes. They get sick of every day waking up, no matter how successful they are. You can get the best earnings as a CEO. You can be president. Prime. You're constantly fighting for your voice. You're constantly fighting for it to be okay. It's as you said, you know, why is a woman seen as aggressive or bad or opportunistic or she has a big ego? I, I get that all the time, or at least I feel that people look at me sometimes like that. You know, here's this crazy woman. Her husband's the one that's the ambassador. Why is she trying to take all the attention? She must love attention. You know, I mean, <laughs> exactly. And, and, I, and I live these things and I try to shut them out. But there are days where I say, is it worth it? I know it is, but I certainly struggle a lot with that. Well, I have I have total sympathy and solidarity for that. I think it's the story of my life. It's the story of many other women's lives. At the point I have reached since I'm over 50, I have less uh, acceptance for it. I think, you know, I've started again a new life, a new kind of career, although I call the mission so many times in my life. And now as member of the European Parliament, I'm still sort of, you know, starting 
a new career, a new life. And when I'm 50 and I, I, I really would like to devote my energy, my resources, my time, whatever commitment and drive, which, which I really feel a lot because the world is a crazy place. And as long as the world is a crazy place, I will have this commitment. I will have this drive. I will not be able to sleep at night properly. That's the way I am. I love to devote those energy to that instead of to dealing with the fact that I still have to fight my way up, to place myself on the table to to you know to elbow yourself into the room and i'm i've less and less patient on that what what uh, comforts me is i'm not alone there are millions of women uh, that are struggling in much worse conditions similar fights and i think that whatever fight i do it should help to open the way to others that it would never happen to the new generation what i had to go through that the new generation could jump these fights and just do what they want to do, have this freedom of choice, get the job they want, uh, and not having to deal with all these stereotypes, all these explanations, all these misunderstandings, and all this um, negative attitude, and so on. Do you think they will? Yes, I think. Well, the, the challenge is to go from this leftist ideology to a new modern way, a liberal way. I mean, feminism without all this ism, you know, all this ism from the 70s. What does it mean for you then? Do you consider yourself a modern day feminist? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, of course. But I don't like to put into a box because it's about freedom of choice. It's about being yourself. It's about empowering you and others. It's not about what model you belong That's the fundamental difference for me. Anna Maria, you stand out and you stand up for others daily in your job, in your personal life. You've done it for me so many times, and I'm so grateful to you for that. You've really meant so much to me. So I think to ask you how you stand up and stand out <laughs> is maybe not even is a moot point, as we would say in the U.S., but maybe to give a little nugget of inspiration to other women, because you, you are a fighter and you're a survivor and you, you do end up on top. I see that. How do you stand up after a failure or after a humiliation or after someone in the parliament just completely tries to take you down just because you're active or use your voice? What do you tell yourself? How do you get back up on the horse, as we say in America? For the first, I get upset. I get sorry. I get uh, angry. It's not that I just stand up. I, I have a lot of feelings. Uh, what helps me is to share is to talk about it with others, is to check it out with others, is to express it and, and get feedbacks. And this feeling of sistership, network, um, helping each other, I don't keep it for myself. It's not that I make a press conference, but I keep it. You see what I mean? I, I share it. I also have a very strong team, and that helps me a lot. I have a strong network, a strong team, although I have no time for social life. And a strong family, although we are all spread all over the world like a diaspora. <laughs> uh, standing out is so much more important. For me, standing up is to be able to stand out. I mean, visibility is so that more people listen to what you want to say. It's not because you want to be visible uh, like a rock star. It's a very different way of wanting to be visible. Uh, I, I've been working with me on that to make sure that I was honest with that because there's always a temptation to be visible for yourself. Um, as a member of the European Parliament, it's fairly obvious that you desperately need visibility because 
our work uh, as Europeans, what we do for Sweden to bring more Europe into Sweden, more Sweden to Europe, it's still a big, big battle. It's not recognized as an institution, as a work close to the people, uh, to help people on the daily life. So it, it, you, you need to pass the message all the time. And to be a bridge builder, you need to be visible. But standing out is what counts. Why am I a European Parliament? Why am I in the European Parliament? It's really, nowadays, I would say... Um, to lead on some of the battles that are not obvious. The one is that Europe has to stand up on its values, to welcome people that are fleeing war, torture, oppression. We will never close our borders. We will never raise walls. We will never raise fences. This is a fundamental principle that I'm really ready to devote whatever time and life I have in all the ways it is. But there are other battles as well. Of course, for, for women's rights, for girls' rights, I'm very committed on, on, on the issue of girls because that's the future generation, the lost generations. Mm -hmm. And this is part of the world and the conflict, the violence, because I've seen so much of it in, in the Balkans. I've lived so much of it. So maybe I, I have it close to my heart. And um, the third, I would say, on issues like, if you take like the trade agreement with the United States, it's not something different. It's not something irrelated. It's not that now we're not going to talk about economy because we talk about humanitarian issues. Uh, why is it important? Because it's so much subject of manipulation, misunderstanding, demonization. And there you need leadership. You need leadership to have the courage to say, not my leadership, but everybody's leadership in the business community, cross-Atlantic, the political, to say, basta to this nonsense. It is positive. It's going to bring jobs. No one can change the laws on safety for food unless politicians, the negotiations cannot touch our standards. And by the way, in the United States, they also care about good food, as we do in Europe. So there's a lot of need to put some facts, some data, some reality check in the debate and stand up, uh, stand out, sorry, for the benefits of it. And the last I would like to say, of course, I mentioned it before, I'm not putting it in order of importance. I'm just saying the issues that I will continue to stand out. Well, there's another refugee crisis. It's the refugee crisis of Ukraine. Mm. There are millions of people. There are more people coming from Ukraine than there were from the war in Bosnia. The 1.5 million internally displaced people in Ukraine. I'm going to be an election observer now in the elections in Ukraine. I'm also mm. working a lot on Ukraine. You wouldn't believe it. I see your face. I've been blacklisted by Putin, which gives me... I did read this. <laughs> Which and I was me even I more was happy strength. actually. It means that when you stand <laughs> out and you stand up, someone listens. At least see. Putin listens. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. But but of course I feel very committed, and I think we shouldn't. Uh, there's a lot of lack of leadership in Europe mm. when it gets to Ukraine, Russia. There's a risk that we need to keep Europe united, and we need to keep the transatlantic. Uh, cooperation united when it gets to face the threats coming out of uh, Russia. So it was a wrong order, but there's a lot of issues. I, I feel I want to, to be visible enough by standing up so I can stand out for. Leadership is key. Will we see a female leader at the United Nations soon? 
Do you hope for that? Of course, we have to all struggle for more leader, more women leaders in all position at the top, and it would also be symbolic and open up uh, for for the young generation to feel yes, I can make it if we have more women reaching the top positions. I think you crystallize the whole goal and dream and aim for this podcast series, oh and gosh. it is. <laughs> And I knew you would. That's why I had to have you on. That's why I flew to Sweden for you. Um, it is sharing. Yeah. Sharing not only the successes and achievements, but the weaknesses, oh, the yeah. challenges. That's sometimes the where feelings, we... The I, feelings. And how, how it feels and that it's okay to feel, that it's okay to cry when something has happened, that that's strength as well. Yeah. I think you epitomize that. You are standout. So thank you for being on the show today, Anna Maria. Well, congratulations. You really inspire me. And I well, know. Congratulations for starting the podcast, Natalia. When I saw the title, I said, I can't believe it. <laughs> She catched it all. How could you find such a... It, it means for so many women, uh, it means so much, this, this message of standing up and standing out. It's, uh, it, it's, a life, uh, it's a life fight for many of us. I know it is for you, and I'm going to join you. I think this is hopefully the first of many interviews and collaborations. You're a wonderful friend and a wonderful leader in Sweden. Thank you, Natalia. This podcast is a collaboration with Doggins Industry and Acast, produced by Henrik Jansson and Acast, with Sandra Moline as supervising producer and Carl Rosander as executive producer. <laughs>